Hey, I'm Jordan Calling. I'm a producer on staff at Maximum Fun. I work on Bullseye with Jesse Thorne, The Flop House with Elliot Kalin, Stuart Wellington, and Dan McCoy, Fanti with Travel Anderson and uh, Jared Hill, and iPodius with Elliot Kalin and John Hodgman. Uh, I'm also your moderator for today's Max Fun HQ Access. John, Hod- John Hodgman and Elliot Kalin. It's John alphabetical. Hodgman. John Hodgman and Elliot Kalin. John Hodgman and Elliot Kalen. Uh, <laughs> and that voice that you're hearing is the one and only John Hodgman. Audio only today. Audio no, only. I'm just kidding. No, I'm kidding. Here I am. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Here I am at Max Fun HQ, sitting here in the black and white booth with uh, Jesse Thorne, my co-host of uh, Judge John Hodgman, and our good friend Paul F. Tompkins. And I have frozen them with my mind. So they would shut up for once so that we can have this conversation. Jordan, how are you? I'm wonderful, John. Thank you so much for being with us here today on our our, uh, MaxFun Zoom Q&A. So uh, my guest needs no introduction, but I will uh, go ahead and and just give you a quick one. Uh, John Hodgman host Judge John Hodgman uh, on Maximum Fun, as well as iPodius, uh, which he co-hosts, of course, with Elliot Kalin. You also know him from shows such as FXX's Dick Town, HBO's Class Action Park, Cinemax's The Nick, or his books like uh, Vacation Land and Medallion Status, out now on paperback. Uh, he's involved in more projects than I have time to list today. John how are you? Fine. It was weird how I, when I shoved my book in the hole, I disappeared. Oh, you're like, it's uh, kind of a metaphor for the author. Once the text exists, the author disappears. Ah. <laughs> it's wonderful. So again, we're so excited to have you with us today. Uh, I'd like to talk a little bit uh, about how your shows on Maximum Fun came to be. Can you talk to us a little bit about how Judge John Hodgman got started? Yes, I can. I'm sorry. I had to mute myself and mute my video because I had to blow my nose. I'm in perfect That's health. Quite all right. Perfect health. No, no, no more healthy a glow than on me, except I had a little hay fever this morning. But that's not the question that you asked. The, the question was, how did my shows on Maximum Fun get started? I'm ve- first of all, right. I'm very glad that that's, uh, th- that word is plural, shows, because it has been my delight to host Judge John Hodgman for almost 10 years on Maximum Fun with Jesse, and my extra delight to co-host with Elliot and you, Jordan, the iPodius podcast about iClaudius, which was such such a fun thing to make and ended up being, I think, a very nice distraction for people during the early part of this endless time-erasing period of anxiety that we're going through. I, am, I, I don't know what you're talking I about. I am currently wearing my iClaudius t-shirt. This is the big reveal. Ta-da. That's Derek Jacoby as iClaudius wow. that a listener made for me. Um, I'm also sporting the, um, let's see if I can get this visible to you, the uh, Hartford Whalers Zamboni tie tack that Jesse Thorne gave me. And, um, wow. and uh, I'm wearing snack. a hat just because I haven't washed my hair today or this week. So to answer your question, Judge John Hodgman started about 10 years ago. It was originally a segment on Jordan Jesse Go, which had started at that point. I was a, f- a friend and fan of Jesse's during the Sound of Young America days. When my first book, The Areas of My Expertise, came out, I was told 
by the book publicist that a woman named Jessie Thorne wanted to interview me for her small public radio show in Walla Walla, Washington. And I said, sure, because as John Darnielle says in the great song for Charles Bronson, focus on the parts that make you feel good and be grateful for the attention. And uh, I was connected on the phone with this incredible radiolicious voice that um, confused me mightily because I had been told that this was a young woman named Jessie. As we know, Jessie Thorne identifies as male, but has a voice that transcends all human description. It is a, it is a, a radio voice that could be coming from, that feels like it's coming from some timeless radio creature. So it was a very unnerving conversation to have because this person did not sound young. This person sounded extremely wise, as indeed Jesse was and always has been wise for his age. I guess he is about 10 years younger than I am, maybe a little bit more. And at that point was, you know, continuing what had been his college radio show, The Sound of Young America, that he had created with Jordan Morris uh, as a self-produced public radio show that was syndicated to Walla Walla, Washington and Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Those are the two radio stations that carried the show and was also available as a podcast, which I had only just heard of within a couple of years prior from my good friend, Jonathan Colton, who's always got his finger on the pulse of new tech and songs about robots. And Jonathan had described to me, I guess, probably in 2004, about a year before what a podcast was. And I had said to Jonathan what I say to him whenever he describes something that happens in the future and is successful, it'll never work. So Jesse then had me on the sound of young, then had me on the sound of young America. I got to know him a little bit better. We met in person when he came here to uh, interview um, Stephen Colbert at the Apple store. Uh, and, and that was one of the first Apple podcasts that was made available. That, that episode was made available by Apple. Apple had a, a podcasting program at that time, and I had a professional relationship with them. And as I grew to know him, and as he built the Maximum Fund Network, and as he spun off the ha-ha parts of The Sound of Young America into Jordan Jesse Go, and turned the interview portion of The Sound of Young America into Bullseye, he asked me if I would ever do a segment on Jordan Jesse Go, and his idea was to do a, a judge show, like a Judge Judy, where listeners would call in with a dispute and I would adjudicate it. And it was like one of those perfect ideas. The minute for me, when I heard, it, I was like, yeah, absolutely. The first, uh, the first ever judge John Hodgman segment was two guys arguing pretty typical, uh, in this case about whether chili was a soup or a stew, or maybe it was just, is chili a soup? And I ended up saying that it is a stew, which is true, true for stew. Uh, and we did. Okay. I don't know if I agree with that, but we can move on. Yeah. What argument would you make for chili being a soup over a stew, Jordan? Well, I, there are beans in soup and there are beans in chili. You just so made a lot of Texans very angry. <laughs> it's a slow, it's a slow braised gravy like consistency. It's a stew, okay. which might be a, a kind of soup. I'll grant you that, but we're friends. So that eventually became, you know, I, I actually had um, had started a kind of ghost podcast based on my second book, More Information Than You Require, which had as part of the gimmick of the book at the top of every page, 
there was a sort of this day in history fake fact nugget. So like today in the past, August 17th, I can't even think of one anymore. I don't even remember what I've ever done. But you get the idea. Some joke like, you know, Thomas Jefferson, and you know, in, invaded the secret caverns of the mole men or something like that. And my the producer of my audiobook said, you know, you should just take all those individual th- things and turn it into a daily podcast. And I did. And that was fun. But I wasn't recording anything. It had all been recorded. And as we got to the end of that year long experiment, I was like, I, I would like to do a podcast. I'd like to do Judge John Hodgman. I don't want to let this feed go. And the subscribers to the Today in the Past feed. So Jesse, I'm the only person I knew in the world who knew how to do this was Jesse. And luckily for me, he knew how to do it very well. And so we started doing the, the, the weekly podcast, Judge Sean Hodgman. And I believe that that was November 2011. So we're on our ninth full year coming up. And then uh, much, much, much later on, as the podcast, the Judge John Hodgman podcast and Maximum Fun became more and more and more a part of my professional and creative life as my other opportunities gradually drifted away and I was fired from culture. <laughs> we were doing the Max Fun Drive a couple of years ago, and I learned that my good friend Elliot Kalin and the co-host of the Flophouse podcast, a slightly more popular podcast than mine, had never seen iClaudius. And so as a Max Fun Drive bonus, I made Elliot promise to do a iClaudius miniseries podcast recap series. Because um, we all know that recapping podcasts are the way to go. The content already exists. You just watch a thing and then you talk about it on all the mattress and mail order food money just rolls in. I didn't. And you two kind of got like a head start on 2020 and the remote nature of this business because you were both recording yeah. from your, your satellite locations, correct? Yeah, but that's how I had always done it with Jesse as well. Mm-hmm. Apparently my hand is raised. Let me unraise my hand. I don't have a question for myself. Uh, yeah. Well, this is how I had always done Judge John Hodgman. So very lucky in a lot of ways. And one of them is that as everyone went home and started speaking over the internet to each other, I was already well used to it. Well, talk to us quickly about your experience working with your your friend and uh, and political rival, Elliot Kalin on iPodius. Well, Elliot, you know, had been a writer on The Daily Show. I knew him for years. He was the final head writer for The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. And then when Trevor took over, very ably, I might add, Elliot decided to move to L.A. with his family to seek uh, mm-hmm. other opportunities. But I love I love Elliot. And he's, you know, whenever we were in the Daily Show offices together, we would hang out a lot and talk about nerd stuff. I did play as a recounted in Vacation Land, a little bit of a asshole alpha nerd to his beta nerd. I would I would boss him around and I thought it was fun to tease him and bully him because we were both nerds. Right. And but I forgot about the power dynamic of the fact that I was on camera talent and he was a writer. So he was forced to laugh at anything I did, even like throw my shoes at him. Later, he really acknowledged what I figured out to be true, that it was painful for him, and I apologized. <laughs> so it was a well, it was a huge delight, and you know, to, to to talk about something I care about, which was I Claudius, one of my very favorite pieces of culture to watch, and is I think eminently rewatchable all the time. With Elliot Kalen, a person I liked so much, but then of course one of the great joys of doing something new are the surprises. And Jordan, you started working with us as the producer. I had not met you before and still I've only met you in person one time, but you, <laughs> you know, not only did you bring the heat in terms of editing it and making it sound like a real thing, but you offered a, a lot of 
fun conversation and companionship, access to your mom, the incredible Avis, uh, and a perspective that the show greatly needed. And, you know, I do remember the, the that time when we were, we could all be together in that booth recording the final sort of reunion show, iPodius reunion show, just how much fun we had and how sad I was that it was coming to an end. So thank you for that. And, uh, and you know, we are going to, I hope we're going to do something again soon. We, it's, have you figured out, Elliot doesn't want to do anything I want to do. He doesn't want to do The Prisoner. I don't think he wants to do Battlestar Galactica. Maybe you need to suggest something for us, Jordan. Yeah, I think we need to all hop on a call together and, and figure it out. But thank you so much. And it was, it was, it's been one of the, the, the largest pleasures of my life to get to work with you and Elliot on iPodius. Oh. It was such was such a treat uh and getting to know you so thank you for that john uh are you ready to take some questions from our audience at of a max fund member absolutely not why (laughs) why even look first of all i can only see three people is that right only uh, brian and arbogast and leslie are the only ones who have the the okay there we go yeah come on you guys let's show, show yourself unless you unless you you know are undressed or something or care not to that's fine but it's i like seeing everybody um yeah if you want to show yourself I feel, um, i'm sorry go ahead hi, curtis hi doug doug tobacco what an incredible name jamie tom k john tail and those of you those of you who are who are not making yourself seen that's that's absolutely fine as well connor uh esther hello uh john tay jonathan heselton Les and monica Phil, Stacy, everybody, nice to see you. And uh, or just know that you're just know that you're out there lurking. Uh how do we want to do the questions? Absolutely. So again, thank you for everyone who's participating today. Uh we're going to start out with some questions that folks submitted ahead of time with their RSVP. Uh-huh. Uh but we should have time for questions from attendees as well. Awesome. So attendees, uh, if you have a question for our guest, please use the raise hand feature. You can find that again by clicking the participant and then clicking raise hand in the lower right hand corner of your screen. Uh, If you have the hand raise feature on, uh, Daniel will send you a message in the Zoom chat to get your question from you and to check if you'd like to ask it yourself or if you feel more comfortable, I can ask it on your behalf. Uh, Once Daniel has your question, you can click lower hand. And when we're ready for your question, we'll use the Zoom chat again to ask you to unmute yourself. And then if you need to as well, you can turn your video on at that time. Uh, When asking a question, uh, please, no bummers. We may not be able to get to everyone's question, but we want to do our best. So please, questions only. Uh, None of this. uh, This is more of a comment than a question kind of stuff. Uh, Try and and shy away from that. If you do this is more Uh, of a comment than a question, I will punish you. Yeah, we will we will end this meeting for all. Um, no, I won't, no that, I won't but... end this meeting for everybody. <laughs> I'm only going to punish the person who, oh, harsh. Jordan's harsher than Judge John Hodgman. All right. You, you yeah, see what you're I'm dealing coming, with. I'm coming down hard on, on those type of, of questions. No, but just try and shy away from that. Uh, try to ask your question in a way that's pretty quick or direct so we have a better chance of getting everybody in. So, So these questions were pre-submitted. By people who had RSVP'd to this thing. That's correct. And let me just say something to everyone who is in here. You're in here for a reason. It's because you're such incredible supportive members of the Max Fund community. I think Jesse may have mentioned 
I mean, I know he did. I don't know whether you saw uh, a, a tweet that really kind of hit me, which was, you know, the podcast industry, which had been booming and booming and booming and booming right up until this spring, uh, has taken a hit. Now, I didn't realize it had taken a hit because I just sit here in my room and do the same thing that I've been doing for the past 10 years. Very little in this has changed for me. And yet what I didn't understand was that all of these big commercial podcast networks that were soaking up all this ad money were now struggling because ad money is disappearing as other companies are taking a hit and reducing ad expenditures. And also people aren't commuting and they're not listening to podcasts in the same way. And the only reason that I had not noticed a major difference um, in my professional life as a podcaster is you, you, all of you. I mean, the truth is that Maximum Fun has a listener-supported model um, that, that you know, flashback one year ago maybe seemed a little kumbaya to all the high rollers at the uh, at the gimlets and the stitchers of the world. No offense, Chris Bannon, I love Stitcher. You know I do. But you know what I mean. Seemed a little, seemed a little crunchy. Seemed a little summer camp. Seemed a little Max Fun Connie. You know what I mean? And yet here we are, and it's actually a much, much more sustainable model. I've known for years that our audience is smaller compared to some of the big, massive podcasts that are out there. But I also know that that our audience and the audience of Judge John Hodgman in particular is disproportionately generous and supportive. And I'm really grateful for your doing that and that you're here. Now, if you RSVP'd and pre-asked a question and then you didn't bother to show up today, you're dead to me. So when you say, you know, such and such is asking a question, I need to I need them to raise their hand if they're on video or make themselves known because I want to make sure they're here. If they're not here, I'm not going to ever talk to them. Understood. And with that, we'll go ahead and get into our first question. I think that comes from Leslie. Leslie, and, you're uh, here. I can Leslie, see you. Leslie's Leslie, going okay. to ask that. I am here. Thanks, Hi. Jordan. Um, Hi, Leslie. Thank you. Thanks for doing this, John. This is so awesome. Um, so my question is, um, I think you and I have in common that we both worked at movie theaters in our youth. Oh. Um, and it, it, for me, ranks among the most fun I've ever had at work still. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to ask, um, was it a fun job for you? And do you have any good stories about your time working at the movie theater? Well, first, let me answer your question with a question. What movie theater did you work at? I worked at the Southtown Theater in uh, Bloomington, Minnesota. Oh, that's cool. And is was that just a multiplex, commercial multiplex, or like an art, art house or what have you? It was, um, we had two screens. So it was yeah. one of those giant old theaters and they yeah. split it into two. Yeah. Um, and we got a mix of, you know, we had like... Um, Empire Strikes Back, but we also had Gandhi. It, yeah. We had like a weird mix of movies. Sounds like uh, it was maybe 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 a second run house. Maybe yeah. yeah, awesome. So yeah, no, I worked in a very similar situation at the Coolidge Corner Theater, what was then called the Coolidge Corner Movie House in Coolidge Corner, Brookline, Massachusetts, where I grew up. And it had it was a huge old movie palace that had been tastefully broken into two. The balcony was turned into a second smaller theater by the time I was attending. And when I was a kid, I would go there and they were a repertory house. So they showed Ivanhoe and Robin Hood and uh, they would program a whole bunch of samurai movies, uh, Toshiro Mifune film festivals and uh, Marx Brothers and, and all that stuff. It was like, you know, movie nerd heaven before there were video stores. 
by the time I started working there, when I was in the latter days of my high school experience, they had become a second run house and then moved into an art theater. I love, I loved it. And yes, I have lots of stories about working there. Many of them appearing in this book, uh, medallion status, uh, specifically, um, uh, page and I can't follow. Oh, yeah. It's in my career advice for children chapter where I talk about all of my different odd jobs and the different things. I'll and reread I, it, John. I, I did buy the book. Oh, I'm just, being, I'm just, <laughs> you know, I'm just plugging when I can. Uh, and you know, I, I, th I think that people who worked in art house movie theaters or, you know, old movie palaces like that, independent movie houses, particularly during that period of time had a very special experience because there was a lot of bonding around a certain kind of culture and there was a lot of downtime. I mean, there was a lot of downtime. And like most of the jobs just sitting around with these older, older art school students who worked there part-time who had better senses of humor than I did. And I just, we just joked around and I learned from them how to make jokes. Uh, the only job that I think might have been more fun was working at the video store in New Haven, Connecticut, when I was attending uh, Yale University, an accredited four-year institution of higher learning in Southern Connecticut. That was more fun because there was even more downtime and you didn't have to clean a, a popcorn machine or anything. You just sat there with Patrick or Jacob or Susan or whoever your coworker was that day and you just rolled movies all day long. There was maybe three people who came in in the morning and then nine people who came, well, you would have a, a major rush at night as people were coming stuff, but then people would just throw it through the drop box and you'd process that stuff and then you'd do nothing for the rest of the day. But of course, you know, as I say in my book, Medallion Status, now available in paperback, you know, you have to be careful about the easy jobs because they're very easy to settle into. And you're like, why wouldn't I do this for the rest of my life? And then the next thing you know, someone invents Netflix. So it goes away. Awesome. Thank you, John. Thank you, Leslie. Yeah, thank you, Leslie. Great question. Okay, uh, a lot of great questions today. We're going to move uh, on to uh, our next question, and that's coming from Jonathan. Jonathan, are you? Jonathan and... Thanks, Jordan. Okay, yeah, you're oh. here. Good. Uh, hello, Your Honor. Yes. Uh, my uh, my question was... Ar is, Arbo, Arbogast is beaming in from his library. You got, uh, from my chambers here. Yeah, right. Okay, I got you. Uh, how do you keep a long-running project like Judge Sean Hodgman uh, fun and exciting to create week after week? Well, the novelty is baked into it because, you know, even though during the pandemic, for technical reasons, we've had to do many more self-contained docket cases, you know, where it's just Jesse and I or perhaps a special guest running through letters, which is easier to produce, especially when studios were not open for guests to get into. But the DNA, the 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 heart and uh, and soul and meat and gristle of the podcast are the guests. So you know, I I didn't realize until I was into year five or six that the job isn't to be a, a judge necessarily, but to be an interviewer of unknown people. And unknown people are invariably really interesting. You know, sometimes they know they're interesting, and then they're a real drag to talk to because they're just they're, or sometimes they want to prove they're interesting. But but most most people who just, you know, have their lives and do their things. I love hearing about what's going on in their lives. And uh, I was talking with uh, Max Fun podcaster John Roderick of Friendly Fire uh, the other day about Spalding Gray, who is a great uh, um, uh, American monologuist who's not exactly forgotten, but nor is he exactly remembered in the popular culture at the moment. Um, but 
you know, he started out with a show or one of his early shows in New York was he would just sit on stage and call on people from the audience to come up and allow him to interview them. And I was like, that's a great show, you know? So that's what keeps it fresh every time. Cause you're always going to have, you're always going to find some surprise that you didn't know was there and, and a depth to the, to the conflict um, that you didn't foresee. So it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a kind of improvisational theater, but one which I control how I sound at the end. So, or, you know, the producer does, I don't ever listen to it. Maybe I sound okay. I hope. What a wonderful question. Thank you so much, uh, Jonathan. Uh, okay. We're going to, we're going to move on and we have a question uh, from Tom. Looks like, and they'll be asking their own question. We have Tom in the room. Tom. Hi. Hi, Tom. Hi, John. Uh, thanks. Thanks for being here tonight. Um, I wanted to say uh, thank you for uh, night. The- Where are you? Where are you, Tom? I am in Zurich, Switzerland. Wow. All right. Yeah. No, thank you for staying up late. So it's not too bad. It's like it's 830 here. So it's nice. It's, right. a, it's a good time for us. Um, I wanted to thank bed. you for uh, the uh, the pets uh, live streams that you were doing earlier this year oh, uh, yeah. in March and April. Those were really delightful uh, during a, during a challenging time for everyone. I think. Thank you. Um, my my question. Uh, so, in almost ten years of moderating friendly disputes uh, between friends and couples on on your on your podcast, what do you think you've you've learned about relationships from that, and and how folks disagree with with people that they're close to. And, and, and the second part of that is, has it changed how you approach relationships in your own life? Yes. I mean, uh, it's made me a much better feminist for sure. You know, there, there are two major ways in which, uh, it's adjusted my thinking and my feeling. One of which is that in heterosexual male, female couples, the guy is almost always wrong. It's, and you know, I never would have thought that or express that or sort of that would have seemed like such a hacky stand-up comedian thing to say. I couldn't believe that that could possibly be true. But now I am sitting on 10 years of data points and the wrongness of guys in heterosexual relationships is just is just astonishing and embarrassing and boring. Has anyone gone back and looked at the actual stats from the last ten years of that? You know, no, I would need show. I would need someone probably in in Switzerland to do that for me. That's that's we don't need someone to do that. I mean, it's just the, the and the consistency of wrongness and and by wrong I mean that sounds very judgmental and it is, but I just mean in terms of like you know, guys are so consistently insistent on coming up with new ways of doing easy to do things. Uh, and then trying to enforce those those pr- domestic procedures on their female partners um, when those women had been doing it just fine on their own for years and didn't need to worry about the guy's new idea. Um, guys just feeling like when they have an idea, they have to say it or else it doesn't exist. That speaking is necessary in order for their existence to be justified. Uh, you know, the the, guy, the the one that was just so heartbreaking, which was the, it was a New York Times Magazine one, a woman wrote in and said, um, my, my husband, um, doesn't like it when I laugh to myself, um, because he feels left out. If I think of something funny and I laugh to myself, he gets angry. And then he demands what I'm laughing at. And when I tell him what I was thinking, he gets even more angry because he doesn't believe it's funny. And, and I was just like, how the, this monster who can't let you just have a private life 
who, who is so insecure that he feels left out if you have a private life. And this is, you know, this sounds, you know, I mean, if, if you guys were all gamer gators, you'd be all tall me I'm some kind of SJW or whatever. But I mean, they haven't seen the math that I've seen. They haven't seen just how common this is. And so it really affects, like I've always been a very sensitive soy boy, beta cuck, for sure, since birth. That's how, that's OG, you know, sensitive guy. But it really made me watch myself and my own behavior in conversation, not not just with women, but with everyone in terms of making sure, because I, like most guys, I know I'm right all the time and the world needs to hear what I have to say. But now I'm, I work really hard to listen more than talk, unless it's my job to talk like this. Do you know what I mean? That's why this is also enjoyable for me. But in, in, in real life conversation, to really to really listen and not jump in and not be judgmental. And when I have something to say, I try to say it. And this goes to political conversations too. It's like, I'm not trying to convince someone that I'm right. I'm trying to say, well, these are my values, period. And then just let, let it go from there. The other way that it's really changed my understanding of the world and worldview is, you know, I just, I just went on a whole long speech about uh, guys act this way and women act this way. But, I have a much, much more nuanced, and I'm grateful for it, point of view about what what a guy is and what a woman is and what gender is, you know, not only because of Jesse's own personal experience raising a, a trans kid, but that so many of our, our listeners and so many of our litigants are people who are non-binary, people who uh, choose, choose pronouns uh, that seem less obvious than they used to 10 years ago, that, uh, you know, people who are trans or asexual or, you know, bi or whatever, whatever the makeup of their expression of their gender, their personhood, their sexuality, the whole, the whole mix of that has been so eye-opening. And if it weren't for the podcast, I might've, I might've missed it. You know, I might, you know, I'm a, I'm 49 years old and I grew up in a certain era of um, semi-wokeness. If it weren't for the podcast, those issues might not have been present in my life, maybe until m- m- my my children explained themselves to me. Do you know what I mean? So I'm really grateful for the podcast for that as well. Thanks. Well, we're, we're getting a lot of great uh, questions today. Thank you for that question, Tom. And, and uh, thank you for that, that very thoughtful answer, John. Uh, gonna... Well, you know, I'm really smart. Probably, you know, people need to hear what I have to say. This is, this is also true. Um, so we're going to go ahead and move on. Our next question comes from uh, Brian. Brian, if you'd like to uh, reveal yourself. Hello. Hi, Brian, from the Marvel by the Month podcast. Yes, thank you very much. Always yeah. be plugging. Um, I also just wanted to mention that the episode that uh, John Hodgman guested on will be going up live next Wednesday. On oh, the, all right. On the streams. So... Uh, yes, it was very a, fun, a ton of very fun, fun podcast about Marvel comic books. Thank you very much. Um, so my question uh, has nothing to do with comic books, um, but uh, so here it is. Sorry, dude, you're going off brand. We can't allow it. I know, I know. Brand. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, but here we go. Uh, so I'm a dad to a seven year old son. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, parenting during quarantine is really hard. Um, patients can be in short supply. Um, but I also know that time only moves in one direction. 
he's only going to be this age once. Uh, so from one weird dad to another, what are some of your favorite memories of parenting your kids at that age that you could only experience when they were that age? Well, I mean, the truth of it is I don't remember. I mean, your brain erases, <laughs> your brain erases that stuff. I mean, uh, I am very, I, I love our children a lot. Pretty good dad. I care mm -hmm. about my children. Uh, <laughs> You're very I mean, brave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I deserve, I deserve a lot of congratulations for that. But I, 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 I I'm astonished that I think maybe it's my individual experience or biological failing, but I think that there is to a certain degree and anecdotally in my conversations is a real, maybe biologically determined forgetfulness that parenting has, is baked into parenting, that you forget the hard stuff. And when you have a seven-year-old, a lot of it's hard. A lot of it's hard, you know, pandemic or no. I mean, once again, the timing of this pandemic could not have worked out better for me. I had, I was no longer, I couldn't get a job acting anyway. I had nowhere to go. I was just podcasting. Uh, and I did not feel like doing comedy on the road anymore. So, and also our children are in our teenagers and self-reliant. And now one of them is in college. So, you know, the idea of being not only having a seven-year-old, but being at home with that. And where do you live again, Brian? Uh, in Portland, Oregon. In Portland, Oregon. And that, sh yes. that, that burning shithole of Portland, Oregon, no less. Yes, the anarchist jurisdiction. Yeah, I mean, you've got a tr the, you know, three strikes, you're out, comic book man. But I mean, so what, what, I, what I think, so, you know, I, it's hard for me to remember special memories. And part of that is, <clears throat> one, when I do, it's far too painful because they're gone uh, and our children are launched. And, you know, even though our youngest is 15, he's his own human being now. Uh, and, and then two, and two, I think that there is a biological imperative that you forget the hard stuff so that you'll go out and do it again. I mean, I remember the deep feeling like we had just gotten our son home from the hospital. He'd been home a couple of days and our daughter was three at that point. And he was just born. And I was holding him in the middle of the night. And I just remember thinking to myself, fucking got tricked into this again. What the hell? Like I, I suddenly, how did I forget how hard this is? Why? And it's like, oh yeah, your body erases that so that you'll do it again and again. That's a bio, there's this biological imperative to continue the species. Probably not a great idea, but that's what we do anyway. So the thing that I do remember though, is when our daughter was first handed to us uh, after she had been, born and then taken away and weighed and probably switched for another baby in the hospital. Cause I think that happens all the time when, you know, and then she was returned to us by the nurse and the nurse said, as she handed her over to uh, the woman who was also my wife, uh, enjoy your baby. We thought it was such a weird thing to say. And we realized, no, that's exactly right. Enjoy your baby. Just, you know, you don't get a lot of consolation. You don't get a lot of downtime. You don't get a lot of whatever, but they're, they're fun. They're funny. They're in love with you. There's, they, they help you forget yourself, which is a real relief. And so you, and you will forget it. So en enjoy it while it lasts. Thank you. 
Thank you for that question, Brian. Uh, thanks. I hope again. this next question is a comic book question, for God's sake. <laughs> this, uh, this next question comes from <clears throat> Curtis, uh, and it's actually a two-parter. Uh, he says... Uh, oh, my God, Curtis. <laughs> uh, this one... Where's, Cur where's Curtis? Curtis uh, opted to not be on camera today, so I'm... Look, I respect your decision, Curtis, but uh, you got a lot of nerve coming in here with a two-part question you won't even be on camera well oh, there's curtis i see him there <laughs> all right Cur curtis isn't going to say his own thing so i'm going to ask uh curtis's question okay. uh which right. is uh this one if i'm if i may is a two-parter how can i trick my wife into agreeing to be on judge john hodgman and is this as i suspect a really bad idea on multiple levels uh, for reference, her worst nightmare came true when we were seated in the front row at a Sketchfest stand-up show, and our group got some attention from one of the comics. Thank you, Curtis. Curtis, I'm gonna I'm gonna be hard on you, and you almost you almost literally asked for it. It's one thing to ask a two-part question already bad bad move. Two, there I will tell you that there. There's nothing worse on the podcast than litigants where one or sometimes both of them are there just because they want to be on a podcast where the, where there is not a genuine dispute, where a dispute has been ginned up or blown out of proportion by one member or in cahoots with the other litigant just be, to be able to be on it on the podcast because and, and, and not not because it's deceptive, which it is. But, be, but because it, it's just, there's nothing to talk about. It's, pho it's phony. The feelings aren't real. So, you know, at one point we made a tea towel with Tamara Shopson of some of the settled law of Judge John Hodgman. I'm not sure if there was space on the tea towel for it. But one article of settled law is don't look for disputes in your life. You're going to get them anyway. Don't gin up disputes to be on a podcast. And don't trick your wife ever, ever. Don't trick your, the person you love the most. Um, particularly if you know that they're not going to want to do it. So... You know, if your wife, if you and your wife have a dispute that that is that is real, she'll want to be on the podcast. But no, don't trick anybody, Curtis. Good question, though. Thank you for being here. Thank you for that question. Uh, that that very brave question, Curtis. Um, our next question comes from Esther, uh, and Esther would like to oh, know. Hi, Esther. Hi, Esther. Uh, Esther would like to know what makes for a bad case that will not be considered for the podcast. Hi, Esther. Yeah. Um, so I read all of the submissions and I respond. And what I do is I will put some of them into a file for consideration for the live show. Not the, you know what I mean? The not live shows, but the, where the litigants are live on the air. So I put in consideration for the docket and some I put in consideration for the times magazine. And the Times Magazine one is simple. It's just like if it's if the question is brief and I and I know that there's a a really punchy answer I can give it in a few words, then that's a good one for the Times Magazine. Generally speaking, I will I will be interested in a question if I already have an opinion on it or feel like I have something to say about the subject that is raised, or at least say around the subject that is raised, because that way I I feel like oh I want to have this conversation, you know, and I might have my mind changed. But at least I'm like, I got something to go on here. It's it's harder to think of the ones that are just bad, like just duds. They rarely ever come up. I will say that most, I, I basically, and I think I may need to announce to the audience, 
I, I, I basically just delete all question, all disputes about dishwashing, uh, dishwashing and dishwashers. It comes up all the time and they're all the same. And it's been covered every way that I think we possibly can. So there's, there's that one. Uh, any, any pod, anyone that has a hint of wackiness of, um, of like a guy trying to trick his wife into being on a podcast or, you know, a a guy just being like, isn't it kooky that me and my friends do this? Those usually won't make it in. Well, they never will. And then I'll tell you this. Here's a hint. If you, if you're submitting a case to my podcast, don't mention that you have a podcast because then I know you're just trying to plug your podcast. <laughs> so those are, those are the ones that I think I tend to. And then there are some that are simply too dark or serious. And then there have been, there are ones that I write back to them and I'm just like, this is too heavy for our, for our show. I'm very rarely like there's, I can't even remember what the circumstance was where I just had to tell the person I'm, I'm, I don't know anything about this email, but I think you need to think about whether your partner is safe for you. Gotcha. Thank you. I wasn't going to hear that one. I wasn't going to hear that one on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that question, Thanks. Esther. Someone. Thanks, Esther. Thanks, someone in the com or April uh, from Exxon mentioned in the comments. Curtis, you're a trooper. Uh, another great Curtis Byrne from the great John Hodgman. Uh, yeah. Thanks again, Esther. Uh, our next question comes from Phil, uh, and Phil would like to know you, John, uh, John uh, Roderick, uh, Jonathan Colton, and Paul F. Tompkins are starting a cover band. Uh, with which song do you open your first set and how do I acquire tickets? Uh, that set, that band would not last even as long as that set. Too many Johns, too many egos, too many waistcoats, too, too much of the same. That's not a good band even. Just all the same guys. And the, and the sameness drives us up a tree. Uh, also, Paul is a singer, but not an instrumentalist. I am not much of an instrumentalist and not much of a singer compared to both John and Jonathan. And they're both, I mean, I don't even know how you would what, like put me on tambourine. I mean, I, I don't know that they're, uh, I don't know that they're, I think that I think that it would be a fun gag for us all to get together and sing the Whiff and Poof song once, but that's as, that's all I would ever promise. I'm not familiar with the the Whiff and Poof. The Whiff and Poofs, Jordan. The Whiff and Poofs are only the most historic and and prestigious uh, uh, collegiate a cappella group of all time. The Yale Whiff and Poofs. Oh, okay, gotcha. Cole, Cole Porter was the one. I have no idea. <laughs> You don't know the Whiff and Poof song, Bing Crosby, huge hit in the 50s? This, this sounds like something to you've made up. To the tables down at Maury's, to the place where Louis dwells, to the dear old temple bar we love so well. No? Sing the Whiff and Poofs assembled with our glasses raised on high and the magic of their singing casts a spell. You don't know that one? I'll, I'll, I yes, the magic of their singing of the songs we love so well from a warning and Badel Meow and the rest. Meow Meow the rest? I couldn't remember that okay. word. <laughs> we will serenade our Louis as life and voice shall last. Then we'll die 
and be forgotten with the rest. You don't know that one? I'm not super familiar. We are poor little lambs who have lost our way. Ba, ba, ba. We are little black sheep who have gone astray. Ba, ba, ba. Wonderful. Gentlemen songsters off on a spree. Damned from here to eternity. That's where the title of the movie, From Here to Eternity, comes from. Lord God or whatever, have mercy on such as we. Ba, this is really the end. Ba, ba. Jonathan Colton was with him. I wasn't. Didn't audition. Thought I was too cool. Nope, I was wrong. You were probably next question. too talented for, for that. Um, yeah, let's move on to the next question, which comes from uh, John. We have another John. And John, uh, if you'd like to turn your camera on and ask your question. Bikram, Bikram's all mad in the chat because I sang the Whiff and Poof song. Think the Whiff and Poof is going to come after him. Hey, look, I got I got ties to the Whiff and Poofs. I'm an honorary Whiff and Poof. Uh, don't worry, I'm going to get it clear. Do you mean me, John, or another John? There's lots. I uh, probably, I probably mean you, John. This John. The, thank you, John. <laughs> yes. Oh, no problem. Uh, hello, Mr. Hotman. Uh, and I vote for the prisoner, uh, so it gets counted. Um, uh, my question is, I went to a show of yours at the Wilbur Theater, uh, which is in the Commonwealth, and... When Jesse asked everyone to stand, we did. Yeah. And, and you immediately had a feeling. I was wondering what that feeling was. So you came to a live J.J. Ho show at the Wilbur, which is one of my favorite theaters. Can't wait till I go back. Um, and it must have been fairly early on mm -hmm. because you Jesse Jesse hates it when people stand up in the theater. When he goes, please rise for Judge John Hodgman or whatever. And people do it. He really hates it. And he stopped and he's and he starting very early on, he would he would say, please rise figuratively for Judge John Hodgman. I, I you know, I, it's funny that you sense that I had a feeling because I don't have a feeling about it one way or the other. It really bothers Jesse. And if anything, I feel like it's funny and it's weird and it's time consuming and loud but it shows that everyone is game. And I think getting people moving around up and down in their seats a little bit during the show keeps the energy up. But I think for audio, it's terrible. And I think, and I, but I also sympathize with Jesse because some, sometimes it can be that sort of, that sort of thing can be done in the spirit of, Oh, we're the show, you know, we, the audience are the show, which is like calling out Freebird at a concert. It's like, stop it. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're on stage for a reason to show you a good time. It's not about you. Um, but who was that? Was that with Joanna Hatfield? Would that have been that one? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was very early on. And, yeah. uh, and uh, read. I, I think it just, it seemed to take people, I mean, everybody did it because that's what we expect to do. When we listen to the podcast, we all stand. You tell yeah. Us, we all sit. Yes. That's so good. Down. It's good for your heart. I'm glad. 
get your steps in. But if you were to do that now, you, you wouldn't be allowed. You would never get there. Well, I hope that we can do live shows again as soon as possible. As soon as we can safely. Thank you for that question, John. Um, we're going to go ahead and move on to a, a question from Connor, uh, who would like to know, uh, John, what is something to be hopeful about that you see that the rest of us might not? Uh, and in your opinion, what's the secret to aging gracefully? Would absolutely love to hear both. That comes from Connor. Me too, Connor. Jeez, I don't know. I'll take the last part as flattery and that you perhaps think that I am aging gracefully. Maybe that's true. Although I would say that uh, I had an incredible run in my early to mid to mid late forties. It was an incredible, incredible run of, uh, of physical exuberance that I had not felt in a long time. I felt like the president on steroids did, but something happened at 48 or 40, you know, when I turned 49, just, Little things are breaking down and it's just points the way. So I think aging gracefully means, you know, it's the thing that you learn at every major uh, sort of decade that you pass, 20, 30, and especially 40. Each decade that passes, you realize uh, you don't give as much of a fuck and it's very relieving. Who cares about all the things you thought were important 10 years ago? Uh, and I think not fighting against that is a certain, there's a certain grace to it. And I think also, you know, if if I am a model for aging gracefully, it is because I'm really, really, really lucky that I uh, did the stuff that I wanted to do and didn't let fear hold me back as it was doing in my 20s. For seven years, I was working on a job that I enjoyed a lot and found rewarding and paid me badly, but fine. But what I wanted to do was be creative and write and do other stuff. And um it took a major life hard left turn to realize that time is limited and I have to do it. I have to do what I, I have to try it anyway. And I did. And quite luckily it, it, it ended up being successful for me. So I'm very lucky to be going into my late, you know, well now my early fifties, uh, without a whole bunch of regrets of what I should have done better or different or tried that I didn't try. Like I've, I feel like basically I've done my life's work. I get to enjoy doing this podcast and I do the crossword puzzle. It sounds great. And then as for what to be hopeful for, it's a different answer than I would have given you a month ago. I mean, a month ago, a month ago, there's no silver lining to what's been happening in 2020 and everything leading up to it in the past four years. It's not like, well, the good thing is this, but there are less bad things, right? And I think that, and I've said this before, that I think one of the reasons so many people who looked like me actually got out in the street during the demonstrations after the murder of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and all so many others whose you know names we don't say, uh, is that a lot of people who looked like me were already home, sent home from work. So we had a lot more time on our hands, we had a lot more time for reflection. But also, I think more importantly, a lot of people, a lot of white people, from a certain professional class who never thought that they would have to apply, say, for an employment insurance or worry that their money was going to run out, was now facing a new reality. And they realized that the normal that we're all trying to get back to actually wasn't working very well for lots and lots and lots of people. And that we can't go back to normal. We need to 
build a new and better normal. And I think that we're having that conversation to some degree. Well, that was a month ago, you know, that I would have said that. Right now, I mean, all my hope is that um, we can wake up on November 4th or 5th, not later, and know that, you know, the, the fight doesn't stop for that new and better normal, but we've made some incremental progress rather than getting sent back 10,000 years, which is what's going to happen if we lose this one. So, you know, that's not hope as, as much as it is terror, but, uh, you know, there is that possibility that we can wake up that day and feel like we can start, we can start building, you know, not to use a Biden term, but building back better, start working together to build a better normal. And it's really important that we don't forget that that's essential once that it doesn't stop on November 4th or 5th or whenever it is that we find out what's going to happen. I mean, the fact is Amy Coney Barrett's probably going to get in and it's fucking crime. So we're already behind, you know, At this point, October 16th, we're recording this and, you know, I'm trying to keep to my word of doing something every day, a little bit outside of myself to, you know, uh, talk to family members, do phone banking, text banking, volunteering, letter writing, you know, in the same way you don't want to reach 49 and feel like, oh, I wish I did. I wish I had done more. You don't want to, you don't want to reach November 4th or 5th and have, and be crying and saying, I wish I had done more in these last couple of weeks, because we need to be pedal to the metal on this one. That's a driving term. Well, with that, you know, thank you again for everyone who has submitted uh, a question. I think that's a really a good note to, uh, to end on. I, for one, choose hope. And it sounds like John does as well. Uh, thank you for that, that question, uh, Connor. And um, yeah, Thanks. That's all the questions we have time for. Uh, thank you uh, to our Max Fun Golden Eagles and our Platinum Angels for your fun questions today and for your ongoing yeah. support of Max Fun and our creators. Uh, and thank you, John, for taking the time to chat with all of us today. Uh, before you go, I did want to uh, ask you if you would, wouldn't mind sharing a cultural recommendation with the, the folks in the chat today and those who are, are going to be listening later. Yeah, you mentioned that I had to do this yesterday, and of course, I completely forgot about it. Okay, great job. No, I know. Uh, here's what I would here's what I would say is if you've not if you've not watched I Claudius and not listened to I Podius, this seems self dealing, but I don't mean it to be. I mean, if I wanted to be self dealing, I would say check out Medallion Status and Paperback, available now wherever books are sold or loaned. Uh, if you're a member of the Television, uh, excuse me, the Recording Academy of America. Please, uh, for your consideration, uh, the the audiobook of Medallion Status is uh, up for a, a Grammy. Uh, if I want to be self dealing, I, I would say watch everyone watch Dick Town with me and David Reese. Bit.ly slash Dick Town. Very. I've changed show. the bit. I've changed. Thank you very much. I appreciate that, Jordan. I've changed the Bitly, so now you can do Bit.ly slash Dick Town with a small D or Bit.ly slash Dick Town with a large D. Figured that out. And so it sounds like I'm being self dealing and always be plugging when I say. Um, you know, uh, uh, listen to watch Ipodius, watch Iclaudius, listen to Ipodius. But I think one of the things we discovered together, Jordan, you and me and Elliot was the, the parallel, I, I having seen it many years, many times over many years, the parallels with this uh, historical moment are a little bit frightening. And at least that's fun to kind of laugh at. Oh, here's what I'm going to say. This, this is what I'm going to say. I said this on the podcast and I think you should do it too. David Reese co-hosts with Starley Kine and John Kimball a, a fun and cathartic political podcast called Election Profit Makers. It's really funny and it's great. And they last did this 
in 2016. They do it every four years. And in 2016, around this time, they were certain that uh, Donald Trump was going to be a memory uh, and a bad one, a nightmare that we had woken up from on election day. And they recorded a podcast the, the, the day after election day last time um, and reckoned with how wrong they were. And if you, if, while you may think that that would be traumatic to revisit, and it will be, it's really worth listening to their reaction, their, their morning after reaction to election day again. Because to me, it was really this moment of like, yeah, this could happen. And what am I going to do to make sure that it doesn't? Um, we don't want to be there again. So I would take a listen to Election Profit Makers as a podcast as it's currently. It's really a lot of fun and just listen to it and it's fun. But I would also listen to that last episode. You can find it wherever you find your podcasts. Um, the last episode of the 2016 run, um, I think is important to listen to. Well, thank you for that recommendation. I can't wait to listen to that. And of course, you can can hear uh, Judge John Hodgman on the uh, the Maximum Fun Network yes. and check out all of the wonderful and amazing things that John is up to. Thank you, John Hodgman. And thank you, Max Fun members. We're going thank to add guys. this. Thank you. Uh, we're going to add this recording to the, the, the bonus content page so that all Max Fun members can have a chance to watch it. That video should be up next week uh, in case you'd ever like to rewatch it or if you want to let your Max Fund member friends know about it. Our next Behind the Mic event will take place on November the 20th. Golden Eagles and Platinum Angels, look for your email invitation in the coming weeks. Thanks again, John, and thank you all for joining us today. Uh, enjoy your weekend. Bye-bye. Ba-ba-ba. <gasps> thank you, guys. See you later. Hi, I'm April Pendergraft, Max Fund Director of Development and Membership. Next month's Behind the Mic will be Flophouse Feud, a chance for attendees to play a game with the hosts of the Flophouse, Dan McCoy, Stuart Wellington, and Elliot Kalin. It'll start with a Q&A session moderated by me. Max Fund Golden Eagles and Platinum Angels will get an invitation to join the event. All members will be able to watch and listen later as bonus content. Thanks for supporting Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported